we've been traveling through the book of Acts, and as we've been going through the book of Acts, as you know, it's kind of a historical uh, skeleton of what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And so what we're doing is as we reach each of these churches that Paul or Silas or Barnabas, they, they ran into, we're, we're teaching through those books. And so we're jumping. We've been in Acts 17, came into the church at Thessalonica. Paul's moved on, went to Athens, and then sent Timothy back to uh, Thessalonica because he's concerned he's only able to be there for three weeks. We'll talk about that a little bit. And so there's this young church, and he's talking to this young church. And in chapter 1, he was concerned about whether or not they were going to make it. And so Timothy, as we'll read in chapter 3 when we get there, comes back with a report. And this is Paul's probably response to that or uh, to what's going on. And so in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, we see the marks of a church. They're in Christ, first of all. You are not born again. You are not a believer in God, you, are not, you do not have eternal life unless you are found to be in Christ Jesus. That is the way that we are saved, is through Christ. He is the door. And we can go to church all our lives and be dead in our sins and end up eternally departed from the Lord. And that is a scary thing. And so we must come to the person of Jesus Christ, and the person of Jesus Christ says, yes, you have sinned, you've fallen short, but here's the provision, I love you. And, and, and our human nature goes, well, I've got to do something to earn that. And these are the works of God that the Bible says is to believe upon the one whom sent Jesus Christ. That is the main work. If you're going to be saved by any works, that's the one. <laughs> in his work, faith in Jesus Christ. And now that continues on. And Paul's talking to this church. He goes, uh, in, in chapter 1, we thank God always for you and continually mentioning our prayers. We remember before our God, our Father, your works produced by faith. And he talks about three important things. Do these things mark us as a church? Do these, thing, these things mark us as individuals before the Lord? Our works produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by the Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we, have, we have faith in the Lord. We say we have faith, but... Is that working out, James? If you don't have, if you say you have faith, I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. Just as an apple tree without apples in its season is not—you can call it what you want—but it's not producing apples. So we, as Christians, if we have the Spirit of God in us, if we've been born again, there should be these works that are happening in our lives. Our lives should begin to look like Jesus. Amen. And then he says there's labors by love. And labors, again, those things that are not normal burdens, heavy, burdensome. The word is, is equated towards beating, taking a beating, labor of love. Are those people around you that are driving you crazy? Labor of love, anyone? Not anybody in here, of course. Those other people, right? Not anyone on the stage. And the last thing is, I don't want to re-preach my sermon, but endurance inspired by hope. How do we endure in this life? You guys are getting hit left and right. Your bodies are falling apart. Raise your hand if your body's been falling apart this week. 
totally. And when our bodies fall apart, do we not start to lose hope? Because it becomes miserable. And I think in God's sovereign plan, it's a way of us to put our eyes back upon Jesus as followers of him and go, you know what, my trust is not in my hope. It's not in the economy of the United States. That will come up and come down. It's not in who is president or not who is president. It's in the kingdom. It's in the one who's sure that will last forever and ever, who holds me in his hands, who holds you in his hands, who promised to give us a new body. That is where our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we don't have, oh no, if we don't have this endurance, we can be the most miserable people on earth. And, I, and how many of you struggle with depression? I, I do. I struggle with having hope. You know, my body's been hurting with pain for years and years, and it's not getting better. But it creates this quickening in my heart to put my eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, and that's what we need. And the Thessalonians are going to struggle with that because later on we'll talk about people who have gone home to be with the Lord. How do, we, how do we mourn? How do, we, how do these things happen? This is a, there's, there's a church that's being persecuted. There's a church that's probably losing people who have been killed for the faith. People who have gone on before the Lord. There's a lot of questions here, things that we're dealing with in our fellowship that we will be dealing with in our life. But notice, uh, again, those three things, but also that the gospel came to not simply with words, but also with power of the Holy Spirit and conviction. The reason why these things are happening is because the gospel came into their lives. The gospel came and it didn't, wasn't just words bouncing off of them. It penetrated their hearts. There was conviction of the soul. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he convicts and he also comforts, right? He convicts us. And so when we're preaching the word, when we're in the word as, as students, when we're sheep grazing on the, on the word of God, it it convicts us of, of what's going on. That's part of what it does. And you can read in 2 Timothy 3.16 other places about how it cuts into our lives and how it's possible to edify and all these other things. But the Word of God, is, is it convicting you? Or is it just words on a paper? Is it pointing us towards Jesus Christ? Or is it an academic or just a ritual that we're going through? It was convicting this church. And that produced a change in who they were. We'll talk about it. But then, lastly, they were imitators of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, they became imitators of Paul. They became imitators of Jesus Christ in two ways. They suffered and they served. They suffered and they served. And so are we imitators of Jesus Christ? And th those marks of the church are precious. And Paul, in chapter 2, he continues on and says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you is not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi in Acts 16, 16 through 22. You can read about, remember, uh, they came into the town. They went to the river because there was no synagogue. They went to Lydia, Lydia, and they were talking to her. And then eventually they went work, walking through the city, and there was a person with a demon-possessed, a demon-possessed girl, and she was kind of fortune-telling and things. And then Paul got sick and tired because she kept on saying, hey, your servant's the Most High God, and what happened? Come out. And she was freed from the, the demon possession of their owners when they realized that they could no longer make money. They got mad. The gospel gets in the way of making money sometimes, isn't it? It's going to have people leave things. It's going to take away the creature comforts of the world and it's going to introduce suffering in their lives sometimes. 
And they got mad and they stirred up the whole city and they took Paul before the magistrates, Paul and Silas, and then they, they beat him with rods. They were treated outrageously. But even God used that in that the, jail, the jailer there uh, gave his life to Christ. He says, as, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Some of your translations will say, we, are, we were bold in our God to speak. How many of you struggle with sharing, with preaching the gospel? You guys are easy to preach the gospel to, you know. I've got two exits. I can get to them pretty quick. No, just kidding. <laughs> but notice Paul, what did he say he was bold in? God gave him boldness. God, we dared because of the Lord. And the reason why Paul was strengthened to share the gospel when he was called upon to share the gospel in light of being beaten with rods, in light of people falling around, in light of his own body, his own life in danger every day, which we are not experiencing, was what? God strengthened him. God helps him. How many of us, when we run into that situation, we're going, I'm, I'm afraid of just not being liked. We go, forget it, and we walk away. Ask for help, and then step out in faith and see what God does. In the face of strong opposition, verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error, from impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Those three things. This was a very uh, religious culture, a Grecian culture. There were a lot of evangelists from different types of religions. It was a, very, it was a missional type of church, uh, type of church, type of society. And there were people with different motives trying to do different things, much as we experience today through telemarketers, televangelists, tele-everything. There are different angles at which people are trying to get something out of people. And he talks about three different motives. What, what causes people to reach out and grab other people? First, they're in error. And that error means deception. They're deceived as to what they believe. And I believe that there are genuine people walking around knocking on, do on doors who are just deceived. They're in error. I don't think it comes from a malicious type of thing in their heart. I think sometimes it's just they are deceived. Anyone ever been deceived? Yeah. And if you haven't been, never been deceived, then you're deceived. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> but in error, impure motives, and this means lucrative motives, desiring extravagant things. The reason why is they're trying to get something out of you to feed something in themselves. And we see that all the time. The way that the message is presented, the way that things are, it's just not pure, it's not straight, it's not truthful, it's tailored in a way to draw out emotion so that then there will be some kind of action on your part for a simple donation of blah, blah, blah. And they work it. Impure motives. And what happens? They end up flying around in awesome jets and cars that the common person in church doesn't have. Not to say we can't be blessed with material things. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But as ministers of the gospel, that's what I'm talking about, as people who are in religious situations, to, you know, take people's money and then go fly around on jets or at all these types of things. You know what I mean? It's just lucrative. There's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's an imbalance. The message of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he looks like, and, and how they live and what they do, and I have to constantly check my own heart in these things, don't we all? It just doesn't match up. And there's this word, impurity. And obviously they go back and forth between, is this an impurity of the, uh, of the, of the body or is it an impurity of the spirit? And I think it's more along the lines of the spirit in the context. He says, nor am I trying to trick you. Am I just trying to snare you? Am I trying to trick you into something? On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And they would know this when he's talking about this word approved by God. They go, oh yeah, that's what every official in our city has to, ha- has to happen before they're entrusted with something. They have to be approved. This training process. They're approved by God. God approves. I love that about the Lord. That means if God approves you, if he calls you and commissions you to do something and someone else doesn't like it, guess what? Go talk to the boss. Overruled. I've called you that you should go and bear much fruit. It's part of your role as a Christian. Go bear much fruit. I've called you to love one another. I've called you to go share the gospel. There's tons of one another's in the, in the scripture we can learn from. but have been trusted with the gospel. And we are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. There are those who live to please people. Live to please people. I think we all struggle with it, don't we? Anyone? Totally. I don't like to be in broken relationships. I don't like to make people feel... Like awkward or point out things that are, you know, true but hurt someone. It's very difficult. I don't like that happening to me. But nevertheless, if you are living to please God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in my life and yours. And this is, if you're in ministry, if you're leading your home, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let this be your guide. In decision-making, does this please the Lord? Does this glorify God? That's what you do. Not, does this please people? Is this, does this make you happy, Lord? Is this, is this your heart? Does this decision please you? Does this purchase please you? Is this in keeping with, with your heart? I've got to go talk to this person, Lord. Oh, how I say this, is this going to please you? You know, these types of things. I've wronged someone. Man, Lord, this doesn't please you. I, I, want, to, I want to be in that right relationship with you. But not out of a motive of trying to please people. And we can take the gospel, and notice the gospel is the central theme here. We've been trusted with the gospel. The gospel is not an error. It's not an and it's not proclaimed in error. It's not proclaimed in impure motives. It's not trying to trick you. It's not trying to please people. It's not greedy. 
It's not flat. It's not using flattery. The gospel is what it is. It is salvation. It's God's word to man. God doesn't do any of those things. He says it like it is, and his word is love and it's truth. And we can take the message of the word and we can try to make it to where it pleases you. How many of you, when I have taught, have said, you know, uh, you know, uh, you could have said that better? Amen? Totally. And I agree with you. I'm growing in that, right? I'm not going to be perfect in that, and that's not an excuse. So we're not talking about being a jerk. But what we are talking about is taking away words like sin and taking away words like repentance and taking away words that are tied up. It's not to say that you can't take those words and make them culturally relevant so people understand. But when you remove those things, you remove the sting of the cross that basically says, repent. You're sinning. You're dead. Judgment is coming. Turn to God. He loves you. That is not a popular message. And I tell you what, we are coming on a time in this church, in this nation, where there will be a great apostasy. And there is a great apostasy because people will have to turn away from what it clearly says to tickle men's ears because their deeds are evil. And to call things what they are, oh, you're so unloving. You're so closed-minded. You're so... If you were on a Titanic and it's going down and you're below deck and water's starting to pour in, it's a slow trickle, but you're not going to make it to the other side. What is the loving thing to do to tell everybody on board? The captain got on the intercom and he called out and he's running through the hallway saying, hey, go through this door. This door's the way out. Any other door, you're done. That, and he's entrusted us to go throughout the cabin and to tell people, this is the way out. Now, whether they follow the way out or not is not up to us. But in that situation, if we are trying to please people, if we are trying to care so much about what people think of us, that we will not lose our own lives like Jesus loved. And we will care more about whether or not what they think about us, whether than they being escaped safely. We have to go, we have to look at our hearts differently in our lives and say, that's not Christ. Christ ran through and he said, this is the way, I am the way, follow me. This is the door, I am the door. And we're to proclaim that to this nation. And there's such a tendency because words are hard in here. Jesus had some hard teachings to say, you know what? I'm just not going to say it like that. I'm just not going to do that. Let's just talk about tithing. Let's just talk about family. Let's just talk about relationships. Let's just talk about these things. When all those things hinge upon a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You want to have an awesome marriage? Die, guys. You have to die to yourself like Jesus died for the church. 
You want to have an awesome marriage? It, it starts with this. I am a fully selfish man. I am a sinner full of anger and all this other stuff, and it's just got to die so that I can love. I need Jesus' love. Women, you want to have an awesome marriage? Submit. Oh, gosh, and instantly. Or he's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. All right, pray for him. Bring him before the cross. It's true. I'm not saying it's not. Am I saying, as I've said before, you go ahead and get beat? No, I'm not. But submit. Pray. Submit yourself to the Lord. How does that happen? Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Hard teachings. These are the things that we're going to run into. We're going to run into things culturally, talking about what is marriage, what isn't marriage. What constitutes, you know, relationships? To legalize this, to legalize that, what's the deal? You know what? I can go in a thousand different directions to you. I just go to what Jesus said. I go to what the Word said, and the world's going to hate me because they hated Him. And how I communicate that, I can pray about, but I'm not here to please people. Because in the end, my body's going to die. I'm going to stand before my Maker, and I will give an account for what I've done in the body, what I've said before you. And I regret, you know, how I've communicated things throughout the years. I, I'm not perfect in that, I know. But the bottom line, I think Paul's heart was beating, is that I just would, at the end, I want you to know the truth. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to have a false truth. It's got to be clear. It's not going to be error. It's not going to be deceptive. It's going to be straightforward and clear. And that's the message we preach, the gospel. Jesus died because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. What does that mean? We are in rebellion towards God and we can't help it. And God came down and he paid for that sin because yes, what you've done will cost something. It costs something. What I've done cost something. God does not just say if, uh, you know, give you a fix-it ticket. He pays the fine for us. And that's the message we preach, that Jesus is the way of salvation. There's no other way under heaven, just Jesus. He's it. No other religion. Islam won't make it. Oh, you know, oh gosh, what are you doing? It's a religion of peace. No. It's a false religion. It's a false gospel. Galatians chapter 1. And I can go down the list. And we go to Christ. Not even Christianity. To Jesus Christ. And what does he say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he is the only one to rise from the dead to prove it. That he was acceptable for God. He is the way to avoid death. And we, that's what we preach. I'm not here to please people. But God who tests our hearts. Verse 5, okay, we'll make it. I know we will. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. People telling you what you want to hear, telling you you're wonderful, telling you all these things, manipulating you to get what they want. Flattery. That's not how the gospel needs to be preached. Nor a mask to cover up greed. The true motive is money. true motive is to gain something out of you. That's not what Paul was about. God is our witness, verse 5. We were not looking for the praise from people. There it is again. 
My motive for ministry was to please God, not to please people. And notice this. He says, not from you or from anyone else, even though we as apostles could have asserted our authority in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Read about Paul's apostle apostleship and what he was required, you know, what his rights were as an apostle, to have a wife, to take a salary, to do all these things, but he chose not to do that so that there would be no misconception. No misconception about his motives. He worked hard. He was a tent maker, all those types of things. So they would know he's not in it for the money. He loves us. This is what's going on. It helps when you're single. That's probably why Paul said, hey, be single. Because instead, verse 7, we were like young children among you. In that word, young children, how many of you have it translated gentle among you? Yeah. Translators trying to figure out what to put there. Gentle is the idea because the context, the next one is, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Think of a nursing mother and her children. So tender. Agitated, probably. (laughs) Sleepless, but tender. And so we care for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And that picture of a mother just giving her life as she's nursing, her very body is being given for this other person. Paul said this, that, like that picture. And so there's this nurturing that happened in the body of Christ that we need. How many of you need to be nurtured as you're young in the Lord and you're making mistakes and you can't help yourself, all that type of stuff? I need it still. Lord, I need the nurturing and praise God for the body of Christ with those nurturing aspects. Amen? Yes. Verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God. And notice, uh, they were working among the people. They were desired not to be a burden among anyone. And this is so important. You know, as, I don't know if, if you know this, but, you know, you don't, when, you, when you're kind of growing up, most parents don't say, don't say hey, you know, you want to be a musician or a pastor. You know, those two things really make a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> but they say, you know, don't, and so what happened, the, re- the rabbis would make sure that if their, if their kids or if their kids in training were being raised up, they would make sure that they'd have some kind of, of trade that they could do. Yes, you're, you're educated in all these things, but you've got to be able to make sure, that because this doesn't always pan out. You better, you better have something that you can do. You know, give guitar lessons, manage something, do whatever it is. And so Paul and, and some other, I think, uh, what's his name? Aquila, maybe, uh, were tent makers. That was a trade. And so Paul was working among them, making tents night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. Verse 10, you are witnesses and so is, and so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Wow, could you say that about yourself? 
I was holy and righteous and blameless among you. God, do that work in me. Amen? Holy means set apart. You weren't halfway in the world, halfway out. You were set apart. You were in it, but not of it. Totally in it, but not infiltrated by the world. Does that make sense? Holy, righteous, right standing before God. Blameless. We weren't doing anything. No one could point a finger at, at any, any weird activity we were doing, the way we treated you, the way we were working among you. What a witness. This is who you're to be at your workplace. This is who I'm to be at my workplace. This is how we're to live. Holy, righteous, blameless. People are looking for dirt on us. They can't find it. Yes, they know we have weaknesses, but I mean, our, our, our intentions and our hearts are pure before the Lord. There's just a, a holiness that sets upon us as we're filled with the Spirit. Verse 11, For you know that we dealt with each other, uh, each of you as a father deals with his own children. So notice we have the nurturing aspect, and we all love the nurturing aspect. How about the father aspect? Boy, a mother and a father are awesome to have in a home. And I know that, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a, with a single mother situation, and God had to step in, and he is faithful in those situations. So uh, don't, don't feel like, God, you know, that you've missed out. I mean, God is so good. But there, in the body of Christ, you have this mother aspect, and you have this father aspect, the father coming in. And notice what he does as the father deals with his own children. How does he do that? He's encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy who calls you into the kingdom of glory and these words might be a little bit deceiving the word encouragement is not the word for uh, empathy or sympathy that's not what it is encouraging is uh, parakaleo which is to instruct yeah that's a funny word huh <laughs> to come alongside that word para right like the paraclete uh, uh, the uh, the Holy Spirit, but to come alongside to admonish, to exhort. And I would just put in our modern term, to coach. That's, that's what I see that word. Encourage. It's not, oh, you're doing great and wonderful. That's, part, that's the next word, right? It's, come on! Let's go! Get your butt out of bed! Let's go. Come on. God's called you to more than this. Encouraging. Encourage. Courage. You're encouraging them. Amen? Amen. To embolden. To impart courage to someone. To draw it out of them. We need to be courageous in Christ Jesus. Fathers should do that with their kids. And obviously, there's tact in how you do that, amen? You don't want to be coach, you know, all the time and crush their spirit. That's not part of it. That's why he puts these other things here, but there's, that's an aspect. And so those gifts of encouragement in the body of Christ are awesome. Exhortation falls along that line. But there's a spirit of, I'm on your team. I'm building you up. We're going for a Super Bowl championship or whatever it might be. You're, you have more potential than what you're displaying. I see where you're going to go. Let's go. Encouraging. Praise God for fathers. If it was just the nurturing, we wouldn't do anything. 
Amen? But if it was just encouragement, our, 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 our hearts would be maybe discouraged at times, right? And so that balance happening there. And then comforting, the second word, parathomaeomi, whatever, comes besides, it's to come beside and console when discouraged. You know, when uh, Martha and Mary had lost Lazarus, there were people coming and they were coming beside them and they were consoling them. And that's what that word is, to console. You know, when you, when you failed, you just want to jump and dad's laugh and go, uh, and you just come here. And there's no words and they just give you a big hug and, and your heart just is, you're sobbing there and then you just lift it up after a while. We need that. And this is what our Father in Heaven does for us. And then lastly, urging you to live lives worthy. That word urging, imploring, that means to affirm to God, to protest, to call to witness, to exhort solemnly. I'm bringing you before God and saying, this is what you're called to do. As God is my witness, live holy lives. Look look at what we're doing. This is, this is the goal. See God? See the Father? There He is. He's glorious. He's awesome. This is where we're headed. This is what Paul was doing with them. Comforting, encouraging, exhorting, nurturing. This is what's needed for us in the body of Christ, is it not? We need all these things. For us to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually. Verse 13. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words, but as it actually is, the word of God. You didn't receive it just like reading, but it was the, it's actually the word of God. And when you as a Christian, when you as a believer, start reading these pages and you realize that this is not human, when it jumps off the play, page and starts speaking to issues in your soul, when you start reading things and going, how in the world was that prophesied? How do you know the, the name King Cyrus hundreds of years before it happened? And you have higher criticism that comes along and goes, the Bible must have been written afterwards because there's just no way it could have had that kind of prediction, that kind of accuracy, and yet over and over and over and over again, things that are even hidden within the text, within word meanings, it's the Word of God. God tells the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. Not only that, I, when I read, you know, when you read classical literature, when you read different things, you know, it can speak to a certain emotion in your heart in these things, but it doesn't read you. When I open the Word of God and I start reading it, it starts reading me. It starts speaking to who I am and where I and where I am in my life. But notice he says it's to those who believe at the end of verse thirteen. You receive the word of God as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The word of God isn't sent to be read, but it's supposed to work in you. How many of you are in the word so it can work in you? What else is working in you? <laughs> what is working in me, you know? But is the Word in our lives? Are we like 
a tree that's planted by the river of water, taking in so that it will affect us. And this is how. How does it, how does it affect this church, this First Thessalonians? Verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. You started to imitate Christ. You started to imitate his churches. You changed from the inside out. When God's word gets in you, you start to act like Jesus. You start to embrace the things that Jesus embraces. It's the work of the Spirit. And notice, he's speaking about these people, these Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and who drove us out. And he says, you're, you're experiencing the same thing, not only from, from the Jews, but from your own people. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Did you know there is an effort to stop you from speaking the gospel to people so that they'll be saved? Do you know that? There is an effort to keep you from sharing the word. There's an effort to shut you up. It's here. It's happening. In this church, it took the form of people physically persecuting them. How's it happening in your life? Besetting sin that makes me discouraged and never want to open my mouth again. The fear of not being liked. The fear of losing a, a dear friend, a relationship. The fear of losing my job. Friends, my brothers and sisters, when the Spirit prompts you to share, trust Him. Just trust Him. When He prompts you, when the Holy Spirit, when there's that war going on inside saying, you know what, I really need to do this, give in and do it. You know that God is in you because guess what? You wouldn't be doing that by yourself, would you? Before Christ, no. Holy Spirit now in you? Ah, I'm just having this war. Yeah, you are because God's trying to break out. He's trying to let the river flow, that thing that's been in you. I feel so inadequate. I know, I do too. Let it flow. Let his love go. Let the words come out. It's not going to be perfect. And you will suffer. <laughs> You're going to suffer rejection. People aren't going to like you. Did you know that? Why? Because the gospel says repent. It says turn. But not just turn from these actions, but turn to the living God. Turn to life in the goodness and the fullness of all he has for you. And he says, in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them. In First Peter 2, 20-23, he says, uh, be like Jesus, who, when he was reviled and all these things were happening to him, I'm paraphrasing him, just entrust it to God, who is the righteous judge. Entrust it to God. When you're 
talks falsely about, when people start to talk smack about you because you follow Jesus, because you share his light and his love, when you start to identify with Jesus, don't try to get revenge, don't try to make it right, don't try to stand up for yourself and all these things, just entrust it to the Lord. Let him protect you, guide you, and, and, and he'll work it out. And then really quickly, in our closing comments here, seven, verse 17, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, still thinking of you, notice the tenderness which Paul's writing. I was with you for three weeks, I got booted out, but man, I was still with you, I was thinking about you the whole time, I was so concerned, I sent my dear Timothy to you, I just wanted to know what's going on. Out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, notice the emphasis, but Satan blocked our way. You know, there's spiritual obstacles to the things that God would have to do in your life and the things that the Lord would have to do in our church. It's amazing to me when Marcus and Fred and Byron and Gary and me, we, we get together and we just start praying for the church. We start seeking God's direction and it just seems like that just falls apart. Why is it taking so long? Why isn't vision here? Why aren't these things happening? There's a pick and war going on. There's a real pick and war and it's not that we're not diligent. It's we need prayer. God has great things for this fellowship. Not so that the name of Christ Community Fellowship could be lifted up, but the name of Jesus through each of you that is marked upon each of you would be proclaimed. That people would look to you and go, man, that's a person who's been touched by God. There's something different about them. They were this, but they are this. They love me when no one else loved me. They told me the truth when everybody else told me what I wanted to hear. They are being persecuted because they just see Jesus. They see his love upon you, his mark. The cross is upon you guys. God has things for us. And the enemy would say to you and to me, not today. I'm going to stop you. And however he does it, Paul is really wanting to be there, but Satan blocked him. Notice before Christ stopped Paul from going into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit stopped him from going into Asia. And now we see Satan stopping. Christ's purposes for stopping us are good. Satan's purposes for stopping us are for evil. For what is our hope and our joy? I want to be with you guys. Our crown, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord. What's our crown? What's my joy? Paul is saying, what is my joy? What is your crown? What is your joy? What is your hope when you're in front of the Lord? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Why suffer, Paul? Why experience the pain? Why experience rejection? Why get beat with rods? Why willingly go back into a city after you just got stoned with rocks? 
Why willingly going on to the next city, knowing that they're going to hate you, knowing that this is going to happen, knowing these things are going to come upon you? Why? Because the love of Christ constrained him. Jesus said what? For the joy set before me, he endured. The punishment of the cross, the joy. What is the joy that was set before him? Pleasing the Father, obviously. But what was the purpose in the suffering? You. You. Me. You are his joy. Satan decided to stop Paul from going to Thessalonians. And so Paul wrote a letter. And what happened? <laughs> Here we are reading it. Thousands of years, God has been going, oh yeah? You want to put a little plug in that? Well then, God is going to, it's going to work through us. It's going to work. We are not here to serve self. We're not here to live lives that are based upon pleasing ourselves. We're here to follow Jesus Christ that just as he suffered, so you also will suffer. But there is great joy in the suffering we experience. Not suffering because we're dumb or because we're jerks or because whatever happened, but because of the Holy Spirit in us, leading us, guiding us, knowing we're in the Father's presence. So, let the love of Christ constrain you. Suffer for joy. The joy. Who are the people that you are willing to suffer for like Jesus suffered for you? Who are the people across the street, at your workplace, on the internet, friends on Facebook? Who are the people you're willing to suffer? All these types of things. Listen, we're not even getting hit with rocks and beat with rods. Amen? How many, how many of you are willing to be unfriended for Jesus? To be, lose your job. To have people make fun of you. I remember as a little kid, I didn't know it. I was born again, age of four. And I would tell people about Jesus. And I had a bunch of people on my block that didn't really, you know. I just remember all of them ganging up on me. I don't know how many of them. And just making fun of me. Oh, something about the angels and all this stuff. And I'm like, what in the world? But just the rejection and the loneliness as a kid, just sitting there by myself with no friends, because of God. Because of the Lord. And you know what? It was, it was hard on me as a kid, but I look back and I go, I wish I had that now. I wish I had that same mindset, this, that same simple mentality of just walk and proclaim. Walk and proclaim and trust the Lord. Wherever I am, that's where He is. And you can be beaten with rods and be like Pastor Saeed in some Iranian prison or wherever 
the heck he is right now. I don't know where they moved him, but. And you could be singing praises to God. Or we can live a life sitting in front of the, the tube, being filled with just stupid stuff, day in, day out, reality shows that don't matter. I'm just saying, put it in perspective. What's the joy that's set before you? Who are those people that God's placed upon your heart? Begin praying for them and step out and suffer together. Amen? Amen. It's the cross. That's what we're here for. We're here to bring some home with us. Not all are going to be follow. Not all are going to come to the Lord. Not all, but some. And by God's grace and with God's help, those some you're going to grab. You're going to share. And if not you, who brings them home, may you just be a piece in the link that told them the truth that would bring them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to praise you and I want to thank you so much for this flock of awesome sheep that I am one of. And we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your commission, just the heartbeat for the lost. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict right now. You would convince us of this truth in our hearts. And I pray that you'd bring things to mind right now that your, your spirit would say, get rid of it and fill it with this. Things that are, are blocking us from just your, your fullness upon our lives, the joy. Lord, we are so susceptible to the tactics of the enemy in this culture. Shine your bright light in the darkness. Open your word. Cut it asunder, Lord. Just pierce our hearts and convict us with the goodness. I pray that if anyone here is lacking boldness this morning, you would give them your spirit. They would be full. Lord, if they need to write a letter to someone, or if they need to share, or they just need to go mow their lawn, wherever it is to open the, the bridge, the gate, to begin to share, Lord, I pray that you put it upon our hearts, just an act of kindness, Lord. Work through your body. Work through us, God. This is short, precious time we have on here on earth. Fill us. And Lord, will you bless the churches in the Walla Walla Valley that we would all unite and be poured out in this way that we wouldn't be looking at individual buildings, but we'd be looking upon the person of Jesus Christ and your glorious grace. So we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.